Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming back to Rigged. This is the final episode in this month, the final in this story arc. We are at our narrative conclusion. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week at the cliffhanger, that final roll. Uh, well, it's this the first roll uh, this week, and we're going to jump right in. So uh, enjoy. And Jonathan confidently reaches out and lifts up the latch to the locker. Matt, roll to see what happens when he opens that locker. 16. Oh! Oh, cool. Okay. All right. So Jonathan reaches in clutches that speedo confidently in his fist and just just feels a level of power he he did not have before interpret that as you will go and there's this just this wash of of light of power of just this tingle of electricity that runs through Jonathan when he picks up those speedos he doesn't understand it uh, he's not very magical himself necessarily, but he is, um, it, it definitely feels very magical. Um, you know, the only, the only thing he can equate it to is his paladin devotion. You know, it, it just, this love of his deity is just kind of washing over him and it just, it fills him with confidence. It fills him with, uh, like I said, just this power. Um, and with that, he thinks he can do anything. So he grabs Kayla by the hand and drags her through a, a side door. They obviously don't want to go back towards the front because that is where the coach and uh, Jasmine are most likely involved. So they go through a side door and just this... this smell of uh, of salt it just washes over them the smell of salt water just kind of uh, it it shows them that they're they're close to the pool obviously they're on the plains there's no other way that this smell would uh, would naturally occur so they uh, they walk through those doors and you know the the heat and the humidity and the the smell it just all hits them all at once. They see on the other side of the pool, and it's a fairly large pool. There's a couple doors leading out, and there is a a door that's kind of right in front of them as well. The pool is kind of on their left hand side. There's a door right in front, and then along that same wall, further down on the other end of the pool. They have uh, another door they can exit. Um, as they are walking around the pool, uh, Jonathan, you know, he's kind of strutting. He has this this uh, trophy. He's got it kind of up on his shoulder. Um, just hit, you know, his arm is through one of the uh, the leg holes, and they uh, they're walking along the edge of the pool, and um, you know, if there was any kind of a score to this. Uh, to this narrative right now would be when you'd hear the Jaws theme, for sure. You know, the they see the uh, the fin just kind of stick out of the water, and they realize that, oh, that this... Obviously, this is where the shark resides, um, and he's, he's most likely hungry. I mean, he's a shark. Of course he's hungry. Um, so they start to move a little bit faster around. They realize that the shark isn't necessarily going to jump out of the pool at them but they don't they also don't want to test fate in any way um so they kind of make it towards the end of the pool near that um that first door that was right in front of them and they um are about to go out that door and just kind of get their bearings and see where they are but they see um basically coming in to the pool from that door is this large um 
she's still human. She's definitely human. She belongs at the Exeter Academy, but she is. Uh, she could easily pass for one of the monstrous races uh, that goes to uh, the same school as Kayla and Jonathan. She could definitely be their classmate. Um, she is just a very large, bridge trolley type uh, a girl here. And she busts down the door, um, just kind of kicks it open, and sees Jonathan carrying the uh, the captain's Speedos. And it's not necessarily a case of mistaken identity, but it is uh, it's something where she... This is what she wants. Like, the Jonathan carrying that Speedo, he is the epitome of the captain to her, and that's what she wants. This is the the guy that she actually um, said she would give her virginity to um, on the on the note stuck to the locker. Um, so you can see the the her smeared lipstick from from uh, kissing the the little note on the locker and everything. And she's just smiling with a, with a gap tooth grin at him. And, uh, she's just puts out her arms and starts to chase him. This obviously causes the, the two goblins to pick up their pace. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been at a pool, whether it's a public pool or in a, uh, a school setting, the one major rule is don't run by the pool. And um, the two goblins are obviously not obeying this rule at all. They, uh, they're they hightailing it around. And of course, they hit a slick patch. And Jonathan, speedo in hand, just tumbles into the pool. Um, the shark is at the other end of the pool at the moment. But obviously, being the apex predator that it is, it is able to close the distance very quickly. Jonathan, having the Speedo in hand still, realizes the true power of this uh, this garment and begins to swim like his life depended on it because it, at this point it really does. So he is hightailing it down to the other end of the pool away from the shark to kind of put some distance before he gets out of the pool itself. But it's really, it's to no avail. I mean, this, the... Uh, the Speedo can only do so much, to be perfectly honest. So Kayla, it she really does the only thing that she can think. And she takes out that small wooden box. She uh, caresses the ceramic bottom with her fingernail and kind of coaxes her worm familiar out and dumps it into the pool. The shark immediately does an about-face. Like, it's one thing to have a goblin in front of him, but there's just this magical creature that just entered his domain. So he swims um, at an alarming speed back towards the worm, and the the waves and the froth of the water that is kicked up from all this commotion, it just kind of slams out of the pool and into this uh, beastly woman that is chasing down both goblins. Now, being at the uh, other end of the pool, Jonathan is able to successfully uh, disembark. You know, he's soaked wet, obviously, but he is relatively unharmed. And Kayla eventually catches up to him. She's got a little bit of a somber look on her face because obviously her her familiar has uh, taken a dip into the pool itself. But they quickly exit the uh, the pool area uh, without even looking back. They're just at this point they're hoping that the uh, that Jonathan's admirer, as you can call her, um, has either given up or um, just become preoccupied. So as they come out of the pool, they look to their left and they see um, a set of double doors and kind of in on the wall. Uh, around these double doors, you can really tell it is kind of the entrance to the creative wing. You know, it's it's painted up really nice. Um, it's not just a uh, stale, single-colored paint job. You know, it has like a little, uh, you know, some nice calligraphy up top. It says, you know, if you can 
dream it, you can do it, or you dream it, you can create it, something along those lines. Um, and so they walk over to the, um, to the entrance of the creative wing, basically. And they go over to the, the door and they just look in to see what's going on and whether they can access this area. Cause they have a sneaking suspicion if they are going to find the, um, the skull from, from the drama teacher, this is where they're going to find it. So as they peek in, Brando, why don't you roll and see what happens? Uh, that is a natural one. Oh, mm-hmm. third one. They, they see this dwarf peering through at them. And they aren't sure what exactly to do because he's a pretty stout dwarf. And if he wants the door to stay closed, he's it's going to stay closed. <laughs> so they start with a simple smile and a wave. Nothing. Just He just keeps staring out. And then they wave furiously in front of his face to make sure that he can see them. And he sort of raises an eyebrow and they know that he can see them. Being a young adult male, the only thing that Jonathan can think of is to take ten steps backward, turn around, and drop trow. So he moons the dwarf, and the dwarf is sort of taken aback a little bit, and the, the mind you, the window, the little window in the door is elevated to where a dwarf wouldn't be able to see it, so he's on a stool. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> His shock and awe takes him back just a hair and he's just too wide and un- uncoordinated to where he tumbles off of the stool and they hear a big thud and at that point they know the opportunity is nigh and they rush the door and get it open just enough before it hits his ham hock of a leg and lucky enough for them they He's sort of stunned. He he banged the back of his head, and he's he's kind of out of it right now. And and at that time, they make a run for the desk because they can see they can see the skull on the desk, and they're running for that skull. But it's dark. It's very dark in there. So unfortunately, halfway through, they trip over a pile of props, and. They both sort of fall aside and are minimally, but they are a little bit separated from one another. And at this time, the dwarf is beginning to get up. He's sort of getting his bearings, and he's um, very obviously angry. Um, And he lets out a little whistle. And with that whistle, they can hear footsteps coming down the hallway to the side door of the room and they are also they're pretty big footsteps so they're they're they feel like they might be up against something pretty scary at this point they what they do is they they find each other and run and hide behind one of the curtains that's on the along the side as they're hiding and peering around the curtain they see the side door start to open slowly, and you have five very burly, dressed all in black stagehands <laughs> making their way through the door. And the, uh, the dwarf informs them that there are two intruders, and he sends one of them to, to retrieve the truant officer. So there are, there are four... Um, stagehands and one dwarf now searching the room. They're looking for for the two because they did, uh, the dwarf did not see where they had run off to. As time goes by, they f- they become more and more angry, and um, Kayla and Jonathan can tell as they hear desks start to fly. 
Um, they're starting to just move everything out of their way because they don't, they're not finding them. So that it's time to just push forward. Um, in doing so, Jonathan and Kayla keep inching their way across the wall behind this curtain as, as the party gets closer to them. And as they kind of get to the third curtain, they, um, they fall into a closet area. Um, it's completely dark and they don't know what's going on and they get kind of disoriented and they get turned around a little bit. With that, as they push through this door, um, not knowing where it's going, uh, Nick will have you roll for the battle. Okay. Another d20. Let's not do any more ones. A four. It's not much better. Uh, All knocked out. So... As you can, as you can pretty obviously tell, uh, this was basically just another way back into that room. Um, and as they started to push out the curtain, they kind of gave themselves away. And at that time, a desk was thrown and hit them both directly on the on the bean, and they are knocked out on the collective bean. On the collective bean, and with that, Nick, take it away. All right. We don't know how much time has passed before they wake up. But they wake up. And they are in two chairs, tied down, in the middle of the stage. There's nothing but a ghost light on in between them. The only light in in the auditorium. And they hear a voice come from the, the completely dark seats out in front of them. You were here for the skull, weren't you? And they kind of shoot looks to one another and stay quiet. And the voice says again, I, I know you were. I know you were. It's my most prized possession It is the envy of all area drama teachers. So it's clear that you, little scoundrels, would try to break in and take my skull and ruin the school pride right before our homecoming. How dare you? The voice echoes out of the uh, auditorium. And uh, they shoot each other a look again. And they're not sure if this person is serious that that they that this school does take a great deal of pride in its drama awards or if this person is just as delusional as miss pearson is regardless it doesn't matter because they're trapped and that third spell component the skull uh, is even clearly completely out of their grasp now. It is a good thing, however, that Jonathan is a goblin scout, and he knows his knots. And it's safe to assume that the, the, the lunks who knocked them out, the stagehands, don't know their knots. They just move heavy uh, scenery. So all the while this drama teacher is soliloquizing because that's what drama teachers do when they have an, a captive audience, no less, Jonathan is slowly, methodically undoing the knots that are holding his hands. And after a few minutes, he manages to get his hands free. And in a particularly heated moment in this speech, he shrugs the ropes over off of his shoulders, slides out, and immediately chucks a chair into the audience where he thinks the voice is. And it, the voice breaks from its 
its grandiose spouting and lets out a screech and a squeal and says, protect the skull. Um, and then, uh, they hear shuffling coming out of the darkness in the auditorium. Jonathan is left with the choice of getting Kayla free or heading to the skull. He pauses for the briefest of moments and looks at Kayla and she says, get the skull. And he does. He books it. For being a teeny little guy, he runs fast and he makes it. He jumps up on top of the desk, kicks everything off in the direction of the the bodies that are coming toward him, grabs the skull and leaps back onto the stage. It glints in the, the only light coming from that stage. He runs over, bites through the ropes in no time and then kick, grabs Kayla's hand and kicks the light down, and it goes out. Everyone from the auditorium is left confused and baffled, and they can't see. But from their vantage point, uh, Kayla and Jonathan see the, the light outline of a door Where uh, from, from their vantage point behind backstage. So they instantly book it. And there's another screech and more fumbling and some grunts as people fall. And uh, they, the, the two make it through. Right outside that door, they realize it's the door that, that, that they came in through, is the mascot head that they had dropped on their way in. And around his wrist around Jonathan's wrist, is the Speedo still dangling there. They have all three items. Jonathan scoops up the mascot head in one arm, still holding Kayla in the other, and they make a run for it. It's it's very difficult to run quietly in school halls, empty school halls, much less with uh, a giant foam eel head in 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 arm so they they're not exactly being terribly stealthy and back at the end of the hall just where they they are planning to go to escape just at the door that they see they want to get out of they see that same truancy officer his hair up in a ponytail his beard neatly groomed and combed and glistening. He looks at them, stands akimbo, cracks his knuckles and says, you're going to give me that eel. And for the briefest of moments, he's like, that was not as badass as I wanted it to be. You should have said, you're going to give me that skull. That would have been way cooler. And the kids run at him and he starts running at them and it's the slow motion moment of the two just the well the, the the two sides charging at one another kayla is screaming insane gibberish jonathan is screaming a war cry the truancy officer is still thinking over that that crappy line he just delivered and matt for our resolution roll Ten. Altruistic. Okay. Um, so the two sides, the barbarian, his ponytail flapping in the breeze, um, is running towards the two goblins. And um, as they are about to meet, the two goblins part and they kind of hug the uh, hug the wall and slide by the barbarian. And he is, um, at this point, he's still running. I don't, it's not necessarily that he doesn't uh, know that they're not there, but his momentum is just carrying him way past where he needs to, where he needs to be at this point. Um, so the, the two goblins, they, you know, all their trophies are in hand and they are, um, they're kind of in the clear. They see a door at the end of the hallway that presumably leads outside that they can they can access um and they're they're ready to go so they keep running down the hallway um they're they dare not look back to see the uh whether the barbarian is about to catch up 
the only thing that they do notice out of the corner of their eye is a uh, a large kind of conference room. And um, it's got some windows um, that are facing the uh, the hallway that the two goblins are in so they can see the majority of the conference room itself. Um, in that conference room, there is a uh, just kind of a large map on the wall in the around the, the center of the map is the uh, the uh, it, it's kind of a crude drawing, but it's a um, a representation, I guess you could say, of the uh, the Eloise Exeter Academy. Um, it's it's labeled and everything, and then around around that academy, you see just other crude representations of various schools. Um, Zoinks Briar Socks is one of them that is uh, uh, on this map and and marked, and uh, they they see just kind of little arrows that are pointed towards the. Um, from from their school to the Eloise Exeter Academy, they uh, they're not a hundred percent sure what everything is all about, but they do see the um, the title of the map. I guess you could say it's it says uh, absorption plan or school absorption plan, something like that. And things are starting to click a little bit. Um, they're thinking back to just rumblings in the community about how, you know, their school is falling apart, how they, uh, there's really no money in the community for the, to keep the school up and to uh, pay for any repairs or anything like that, to even pay the teachers for the most part. It's, you know, it's a very downtrodden um, community out there. And um, they also uh, noticed that the uh, this work study program that they are supposedly here partaking in, while it is a ruse on their part, it is something that was um, uh, posited by the the Eloise Exeter Academy as kind of a way to ease the monstrous races into the school. So it's something that they can. Um, just kind of a break in the ice, I guess you could say. And things are starting to click a little bit for them. And what they do realize here is that, yeah, they could take these um, these components, the the head and the skull and the the jersey, and they could bring it back to their school. And it could completely destroy the confidence of the Eloise Exeter Academy. And Swinks Briar Socks could wipe the floor with the uh with the this school during that uh, shark relay competition they could destroy them but what would happen if they did that if zoinks briar socks won and um and then weeks months even later the members of that school were transferred to the Eloise Exeter Academy, and they had to live every day with the the school that they beat, and it beat in a kind of an underhanded fashion. To be perfectly honest, you know, it it would not bode well for anyone. And at that moment, Jonathan, the outsider, he he realizes that it's not worth it. It's not worth it to him, and it's. And while it may not go over well with his peers, it's not going to be worth it in the long run to them as well. And luckily, Kayla has the exact same revelation. You know, she's she wants to fit in. She wants to be um, part of the group, but at what cost? So, And she's hoping that in the long run, the, her peers and her classmates, they see this and maybe it, it takes that turn anyway. But she's not willing to sacrifice um, everything for it. So they gather up their components and the two, they slowly walk over to the gymnasium. They still hear the, uh, the music and the pep rally and the, the um, just excitement going on around them.
they enter the the gym everybody is you know they're on their feet they're dancing there are uh, uh, cheerleaders doing cartwheels around the gym the current relay team is um they're being treated like they're like deities basically up in front of the crowd there are even old members of uh, previous relay teams some with all their limbs some without um they are seated behind the current relay team and just uh, having a really good time just kind of reliving their past glory as well and as the door opens and these two goblins walk in it's just it's silence uh, you can hear a pin drop you can uh, everyone's eyes they just immediately turn even the people that don't really know what's going on over in the far end of the gym they still turn and they look to see what's what exactly is happening and these two little goblins they just walk right into the gym and um, they Jonathan just kind of takes out the skull rolls it along the floor to the the coach of the uh, the shark relay team, and the coach just looks down at it. He kind of wrinkles his nose. He's not really sure what, even what this is, much less what to do with it. And he kind of kicks it to one side. He does notice the mascot head, and he does notice just a pair of speedos. He's he's not really sure what they are without closer inspection, but he definitely notices that mascot head. And as he is about to take a step forward, the two goblins, they kind of genuflect, they drop to one knee, and they put the uh, the mascot head and the speedos down on the floor. They stand up, kind of hands up in the air, and um, just slowly back out. Um, you know, it's kind of a, hey, we're all good nothing to see here it's all it's okay and as they are leaving they uh they say go eels and they turn around and they walk out the door epilogue the double doors to the pool are kind of rattling and shaking there's a commotion on the other side we see some water start to pool out from underneath the uh, the doors, and all of a sudden, they come flying open. Um, just a great wave of water and force just pushes them. And in, in between, we see a two-headed worm. Behind the worm is a shark, belly up. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, I was hoping it would come back to the worm. Just add water. So good. Okay. All right. There it is, kids. What do we think? I don't take a whole lot of notes, but one thing that I did write down that I really wanted to bring up was when you were talking about uh, Jasmine kind of dressing up and hiding her appearance. All I could think was uh, was Mad Mardigan in the, the bar scene in Willow, and uh, I just had to get that one out there and bring that one up. I mean, essentially, yeah. Not a lizard folk! Not a lizard folk! Ha ha ha! Uh, I just listened to the audiobook of that and it was uh, it was so delightful because it is Willow is nowhere to be found on any streaming service at all. I don't think you can even buy it, but it's uh, so I listened to the audiobook. It was really good. It's just it's 100 percent based on the movie. You know, it's one of those the movie came out first and then they wrote it. But it was just like it was really nice. I I love that movie so much. Um. That's funny. That's really funny. I I I approve of that. I approve of that. Um So I'd say we 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 managed to fit it into the um the school thing pretty gosh darn good. You know? Yeah, I uh there's a lot of things. It's it's hard to imagine what what some of these roles would be, honestly, you know? Um 
for example, you know, what, what would you use if, if, uh, like God notices came about something like that? The principle that was, that's, I had that, the superintendent had it back there just in case I knew it. Um, altruistic though was that, that was a doozy. Yeah, I think I think that was the a a brilliant turn. I certainly was scrambling for for what that would be. Um I think you, I think you played it very well. Um I was hoping I was hoping that um for the battle roll I would get uh all knocked out. No, I got all knocked out. I was hoping I would get uh a critical failure again, a party member dies. So it would be, and like, they wouldn't die. They would just get like confiscated to the office or whatever. Um, so it would be down to just a single one. That would be like super high stakes. Uh, let's see. I think I, I was, I'm not going to lie. I was a little worried with your, with your opening that you, I, I felt like you had started us too far back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, but you you managed to get us there, and get us into the school. It wasn't even. See, my thought was like, okay, so the the navigation role will be, which path do we want to take to the school? You know, we can approach it from the front, or we can do a side path, or whatever. But no, I think I think it worked. I think it it worked out pretty good. Yeah, we did a, a whole lot of setup before, obviously, in the the second episode of this storyline. And I just kind of wanted to to kind of call it back a little bit, you know. It's um, I liked what we did so much, and I didn't want it all to be on the cutting room floor for the most part. So, you know, I, I one thing I didn't realize was that it, a lot of it would be undone with a natural one on the uh, the conflict roll, you know, just right out of the gate to have that happen. I will say that is probably one of the craziest roles I can think of uh, in the, you know, in the short run of this entire podcast. It's crazy. Oh yeah. Party member joins enemy. Right. Yeah. Honestly, that, that could be the worst outcome for everyone in that instance, you know, us included. Right. Yeah. 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 That's why it's a critical failure. Um, and I had to interpret joins the enemy, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. There was, there was, there was joining there. Um, Not a cloaca. Oh no. Oh, touch, let's let's touch cloacas. Um, the, I, I think I think with the, um, I think that was a good touch starting it in that world that that we had already built because it's it's all too easy as we've seen the last the for the first arc and for the. Um, for the the speed run and I acknowledge I'm the one who started those stories both times um it's all too easy to just be like okay we open up and we're at the destination like it's 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 a uh, it's a nice touch to 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 do just a little a little titch of flavor in there even though we are time constrained even though we um we've discussed all of that in the backstory. And even though we, we acknowledge this is just a little, this is just like a a little nugget pulled out of a greater story or used to inspire that greater story. It's nice to have that little lead in, even though they, like you said, they knew about it from previous episode, but as you're, you know, you can, it's nicer to have that with the story as it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, the 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 smoother we we get at this the better we get at this um the more we'll be able to call back so if we get a specific detail in that that first 3 minutes and we can call back on it all the better everybody loves reincorporation yep uh so obviously the the what the two critical failures were were the big surprise rolls um Anything, anything that that happened that you really wanted to happen? Any role that you were kind of looking forward to, or or at least came as a pleasant surprise? I think trinket as a powerful artifact was was an interesting role and just something that I did not expect. Um, it really kind of uh, threw me that it was the trinket that was in question was 
not one that they had. Like you would you would assume that the what this role um, influenced was something that they already had on their person, which was would have been an interesting um, an interesting thing for you to expand upon. But the fact that you made that um, that powerful artifact into something that they were after it was it was just a really cool touch yeah i i i don't know i can't explain why it gave him the confidence but as soon as he grabbed that speed as soon as as soon as that happened i just saw this um you know you know in ren and stimpy when they when they cut to that like really close-up super high detail (laughs) i expected like that that super close-up of the um of the locker and everything there's like flies and like a band-aid and everything's gross but this speedo is just sitting in the middle of it shining and you just hear the oh angelic choir as the light pours down and the hand like slowly comes in and grabs it that's that's how i saw that as soon as i saw that it was the powerful trinket and i forgot that was even there i forgot that was um actually an option for us uh and Let's not forget the bottomless worm was the true hero of this tale. <laughs> and I'm so, so glad you brought that back. So glad. It was a nice touch. And it's I think it's even better. See, my thought was like, okay, so he comes in. Obviously it wouldn't work for the altruism role. Um but maybe he the worm could have come in and like saved the day somehow with the, the truancy officer. I really had the the end goal in mind of just just that two-headed worm um, saving the day it was just that was how I saw it Um, and it was the it was the altruism role that really kind of threw a wrench into things um, because I probably could have fit that in every other way with any other role yeah would it have been giant and like been like a tentacle and pulled him in No, I mean the plan that I had in my head, at least, is that it would have happened just just like the epilogue. Um, you know, the instead of running and um, kind of splitting the the barbarian like they did, they would have ran back towards the pool into kind of that back hallway that we had established, and um, at that point. You know, they would have ran by the door. The barbarian would have been behind them, and the door would have would have flew open, kind of catching the barbarian at the perfect moment. Very, uh, you know, kind of like a cartoon for the most part. You know, uh, an old Looney Tunes type thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, kind of a, a very slapstick way of doing things. Yeah, um, uh, Marv in uh, in Home Alone <laughs> getting knocked on his keister. Yeah, Daniel. Stern. Daniel Stern, thank you. Yep. Is he still alive? Oh, he's got to be. He's not that old. What's Daniel Stern done? What's the last thing Daniel Stern did? Home Alone and City City Slickers. Home Alone 2? City Slickers 2 was probably... Did they make... Didn't they make a third City Slickers? It was probably, like, just him. I don't know. <laughs> the, the fat and skinny guy that were, like, the the Ben and Jerry's from the first one? Yeah, Home Alone 28, uh, Lost in Idaho. <laughs> lost lost in the fields of Idaho. It was it was direct to uh to Disney Channel. Wow, he he kind of looks like Ian Anderson a little bit, I'm not going to lie. Um what's the last thing Daniel Stern did? Oh, he's he was born in 57. He's as old as our parents. He's in th- he's got two credits for 2019. That a boy. He's got a 2018 to 2017's a 16. How big of a gap in between? In 2017, one of them was City Slickers in Westworld, a video short. What? Um. Then there's a TV movie, a couple TV series that lasted an hour, uh, uh, a year. So yeah, but he's he's keeping he's keeping busy. You know, still working. He's still working. I don't have an IMDb page. Damn straight. So I mean, cannot cannot blame him for that. I just want to. I want to see. 
I want to see a present day Home Alone sequel. So all the original cast. Oh. Oh. But have yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What? Whatever happened to Joe Pesci? He's got a 2015 in post production. He's got a 2000 no a 2019 in post production. A 2015. A 2010. So he's a little a little more selective than Daniel Stern. Um, yeah, he's just he's Daniel Day Lewis, just shorter. Oh my God, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> he's the Daniel Day Lewis of short Italian men. <laughs> wow, yeah, he's he's he was pretty sparse. For all 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 told, he only has forty credits to his actor name, so that's that seems kind of slim for a such a a long running actor. He, but he's he's fourteen years older than Daniel Stern is, so that's he's he's up there at this he point. Really he's he's got to be selective. Uh, anything else about the actual game, or do we just want to talk about we, Home, we home Alone? Of, Welcome to we uh, Rigged at Home, the Home Alone cast, where we just recreate Home Alone with D and D characters. What was the other one that we were gonna do? Oh, after-school specials. Yeah, there it is. Spe- today's special guest, Macaulay Culkin. Oh, so I think I think that's that's pretty good. I think that wraps it up, right? I mean, we had we had some some good surprise roles. I think the worst, quote unquote, worst role was the altruistic one, just in terms of it being diff- the most difficult. It's so hard to come up with an altruistic ending that uh, just doesn't leave so much to be desired you know as an altruistic there's there's it's it's anticlimactic almost and and without it being just like a self-sacrifice right i think i think that's the easy way out um but the if we hadn't had the school like if we had gotten altruistic in the last two episodes i think it would have been a whole heck of a lot easier yeah and and by episodes i mean stories um it woes of the wood elves and and chicken run would have been it would have been so much yeah. easier to have altruistic in that um but we didn't set ourselves up to re- for there to be to be a greater good it was really just a selfish mission the whole time that being said none of the resolution roles are necessarily specifically geared towards death but the altruistic went it seemed everything just went the whole time went right along with sort of being like a rated PG after school special. No one ever died. It was there was it was just like goofy encounters, but right. goofy slash dangerous, and it just kind of flowed as it was Saved by the Bell. Yeah, it was it was super hijinks. I don't know. I mean, I suppose we could have killed them if if we had party member dies. We could have. It didn't cross my mind. Yeah. It wasn't even an option. Like I said, if we had gotten party member dies, they would have just gone to the principal's office. That would that would have been the interpretation of death to you. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're lost. They're lost to us. I don't know why. I just it it didn't even occur to me that it it could be an option because of the way that I, I think that it would be because of the way that we previously discussed it. We set it up in our minds so much as just a, you know, a, a very PG type situation, you know? Yeah. The after school special, it's lighthearted. Yeah. I could see this in the 1130 slot on Saturday mornings when we were kids just after Save by the bell. Yeah. Or just, just I'm sorry, Saved by the Bell, the new class. And wasn't there a basketball one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they recycled them. They just cycled them in and out. But it really fit together the way, and each time, you know, the way that we could loosely interpret party member joins enemy. She didn't necessarily join the enemy against them. Right, yeah. It ended up being a silly thing where she just threw herself at the coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trinket. I mean, you dropped a worm in a pool. Every if you step if you step back and and put very small descriptions of everything, it's hilarious. Yeah, sex worm in a pool. Same thing. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, hit in the head with a desk. <laughs> both of both of them with one desk while hiding in a in a in a theater curtain. Yeah, yeah. It it's it kind of become comes out. It, it's like the uh, you know the three Stur- stooges. Yeah, it was it was super wacky this time. Yeah. I mean, there were touches of humor in the previous ones, but this one was was totally lighthearted. Yeah. Okay, I think we have anything else we want to wrap up? but Or before we wrap up, rather? Oh, which reminds me, man, we should have been saying it all along, even though it's the end of the last podcast this month. Check the podcast notes. Go back to the other ones. They'll, they'll open up to, uh, to the blog on uh, fecklessmomes.com forward slash R1GGED. Um, that's where you can find Rigged, or just go to fecklessmomes.com and click on the link for the casts and you can find our other podcast there go to your cast catcher of choice rate us review us subscribe give us all all the stars you give us a good review with five stars we will read it and we'll work in some sort of fun rigged way to read it i think and uh yeah so that's it for this story arc that's story arc two this is the end of february in March, we start a whole new arc. Come back next week, and, and we'll start rolling out characters one more time um, and start from scratch there. Uh, I am Nick. I'm Matt. And I'm Brandon. And as the Brothers McGill, we bid you a wonderful end of the month. We'll see you in a week. And uh, by the way, Rigged is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network.